0: You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal revealing stories. She whispered. Did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach General Star Eliza Heimbach speaking how may I into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. What is a problem with the sex? You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak with May of the YouTube channel, Nick's Fears. It's incredibly hard to even begin to describe this conversation with May. I think it might be one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had on the show because it's presumably about one of my favorite topics, which is horror and LGBT media. But in reality, it's about so much more. It's about trauma, fascism, psychedelics, childhood neglect, the trans experience gay sexuality may and i cover so much and may is such an interesting and even brave thinker and she's really not afraid to delve into some terrifying places but with wisdom and humor and joy and appreciating all of the complexity of horror films, as well as difficult life experiences. Now, that said, this episode does get into some pretty dark areas. We discuss child abuse and neglect. We discuss horror themes and body horror gore, some stuff that you might find challenging. So while this is a fun and enlightening and humorous conversation, it is also a challenging one. So please take care of yourself. If you think any of these subjects will be difficult for you, this might not be the episode for you. But before we get to the conversation, I have to thank my patrons. And by going to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long, You can support my work and ensure the long life of this podcast. I believe in the conversations that I'm having on this podcast, and I want to bring them to you for free. But in order to do that, I need support. Producing this podcast is incredibly hard work. Everything from booking guests to the end product and promoting it on social media and everything in between takes hours and hours and hours of work. And to make that sustainable, I need your help. So please, if you are interested in supporting me, go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. There is also a link in the show notes and you will get extra content every single week. Also, this show is sponsored by the thesatanictemple.tv. If you are interested in the occult and new religious movements in documentaries and feature-length films in weird fringe stuff, there is all kinds of interesting material at the temple.tv. There are documentaries, there are feature length films, there are live streams, lectures, rituals, all kinds of amazing stuff on the satanictemple.tv. And with my promo code, you get one month free. So at checkout, use my promo code, sacred tension, all caps, no space, and you will get one month free. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I'm delighted to bring you my conversation with May of Nick's Fears. May, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: It's so good to have you on the show. I am such a huge fan of your YouTube channel, which is called Nick's Fears. And you cover like, well, actually, I won't tell people what you do. How about if you tell us some about who you are and what you do?
0: Sure, so uh, my name is May. I make videos for the internet. I make music as well. I'm a firm believer that Art should challenge you, um, should bring out mm. the best and worst in you. And thus, I have dedicated my life to exploring that concept to the ground. So, <laughs> uh, and I have turned over as many stones as I can at my ripe 28. And I, I assure you that while I am not in my 30s, I, I have <laughs> I've seen some shit so I have a tendency <laughs> to come across as as a bit more uh, cold and mature than I am. Wonderful. So there you,
1: go. you know, I adore your channel because I am a huge fan of horror, and you do this thing in your channel where you are able to approach super transgressive media, and I mean stuff that I I have not watched. I plan on watching it, but I have not yet gotten up you, the courage. For the example, spicy to watch evening. <laughs> Yes, I I re- I require something. I don't know what I require, but you know, I I'm tr- I'm getting up the courage to watch Martyrs. I'm getting up the courage to watch Solo and and all, all the other stuff that you talk about. But you do this thing where you approach it with humor. Your channel is really funny, but also with a level of moral complexity that I really deeply appreciate. It is such a breath of fresh air because art is ambiguous. I mean, and I feel like horror, it can be more of an extreme example of that. But art in general, because it's made by human beings, it is ambiguous. It is complicated. There is good and bad there. And you are able to lean into that in a way that I just find so refreshing on the internet right now because I don't see much well, of that. And maybe that's just my little corner of the internet where I I struggle with not seeing much of it, but you have it. And so I really appreciate well, it. So First off,
0: I very much yeah, appreciate that. But I, to, to, to bounce off what you've said, I, I genuinely believe that the first like 10 years of the internet seemed to be mostly just people kind of yelling about the things they liked and hated. And now yes. we're in the <laughs> new period, which is, okay, now we're gonna actually use the internet as an amazing communication device to talk about these, like, frank, very serious things as well as the not so serious things I mean one Mm. one has to embrace humor in this world and if they don't they will fall by the wayside it just Mm. is a tendency that we all end up in and so I feel like it is my it's kind of my duty to not shy away from the things that are meaningful and difficult transgressive but also Mm. remind people that there is always a weird kind of humor to it no matter what it is and even in the darkness and so i try to take people by the hand into the darkest things they can experience so that they can laugh about them and be free of them that's sort of the goal
1: i think that's brilliant yeah (laughs) well, I think that's fantastic. You know, my first exposure to you was, I think, a couple of weeks ago when I discovered your video on Tideland, the film Tideland, which is like Terry Gilliam's aborted, terrifying undead fetus of Mm -hmm. a film. And, you know, I saw Tideland when I was, oh, must have been like 17 or 18. And it horrified me. Like it was it was nothing like what I had hoped it would be. And it just left me like cold and horrified and then you know over a decade later I come across your video about it and the way you were able to speak about like child trauma and the way you were able to speak about just in general the experience of growing up with abuse and and neglect uh, and and the way you were able to say on the one hand what happens in in this film is inexcusable like what Terry Gilliam presents here it's inexcusable on the other hand here is this depth and nuance that is worth appreciating I love that. And there isn't necessarily a resolution. Between those two things, right? Like there isn't there isn't necessarily some reconciliation between the inexcusableness and the goodness. Sometimes they just coexist well, together. Yeah, and
0: exactly. And and we love we love 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 a clean narrative. We love one because then we can go. Oh, I mm. like Star Wars. You know what I mean? Um, but but yeah. but the world isn't like that. People aren't like that. Relationships between people aren't like that. Um, it's just the world isn't like that. And so there's always a missing piece that you're trying to kind of just juxtapose or justify. And often it's like most of the time you just have to let it roll off of you. But that I think we also have a tendency to think that because something is really gross and confrontational, that we shouldn't engage with it. I'm I'm of the complete opposite mind. Talk
1: about that some. What what is it that leads you to engage with something like I don't know? Name a name a super slaughtered
0: gross. vomit dolls.
1: <laughs> there you go. Oh my god. I, okay. I, actually, I watched your episode about that oh, today. Oh hell yeah. Uh, I watched it. I I watched about that trilogy. Yeah. Okay. So, what is it that draws you to something like Slaughter Vomit well, Dolls? Well, I
0: think the the important distinction to be made here is that typically, whenever you're approaching something like very by the very utterance, it's it's implied that this is something you just happen to somehow be adjacently interested in which isn't true, like, that's super not true for me. I have no desire for, for violence or vomit. Yeah. Uh, so, so really, I am not the target audience for slaughtered vomit dolls, but that's precisely why it's perfect. Like, I'm not who this is for, so I can see it differently than the people that it is for. But most of the people that it is for aren't actually going to critically look at it. Who
1: who is slaughtered vomit dolls? Well, for?
0: Y- um, you would be surprised. You would be <laughs> surprised. Uh, and also you would not be surprised.
1: And and listen, kittens, I I don't care no what kink you do shaming. In the I mean vomit
0: on each other. No, Nobody cares no
1: about it. No kink shaming. Slaughter those dolls and vomit all over yeah. each other. Do you do you children? I am here to support yeah. you as long as it's consensual <laughs> <laughs> vomit on each other consensually. <laughs> um, so the future liberals want. <laughs> <laughs> so actually it, it's really funny because I had lunch with my producer this morning and I was like, Oh, so I'm, I'm interviewing may from Nick's fears and she's like this, you know, badass degenerate trash queen from hell who is who's going to and i mean that entirely as a compliment by the way i accept this role Um, (laughs) okay good 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 you know degenerate trash queen from hell she's coming onto the show to talk about really transgressive media and, and 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 horror and lgbt horror and so on and so forth. And my producer Dante was like, oh, okay, so what what kind of stuff does she cover? And I said, oh, stuff like solo. And he was like, oh, what's that? And I explained solo to him. And I was like, oh, you know, it's like fascists torturing children, right. et cetera, et cetera. I was like, and it's based on a book by the Marquis de Sade. And I it's one that I've been really meaning to right. read. And he said, No, you don't need to read that. <laughs> Why? Why? Why would you do right. that? why would you ever do th- and and he was like <laughs> and he was like "Steven, I'm really I'm really concerned about you. Like you and your partner you just watch horror and I'm worried and I'm concerned about you becoming desensitized. Right. How de- and I imagine that you as the degenerate trash queen from hell i imagine that you get that all the time what so i guess my first question that i have for you is are you
0: okay That's a great thank you. First off, thank you. You're the are only person you, I've ever you been okay? on a podcast with who's like, let me just make sure that you're fine. Like, Have you done anything <laughs> damaging to your mind? Um, yes. First off, I've definitely damaged my mind through this, but, but that's okay. Um, that's okay because I'm going to say something really edgy, but it is kind of weirdly proven to be true for me, which is that life finds a way to mutilate us all. So... Mm. Understand that while I may be looked at as someone who is peculiar for that particular interest, um, that particular interest is partially what makes me a strong person. And my strength carries me through these experiences, too. So it is an endurance test where you're kind of like, okay, do I really want to watch the third installment of the Slaughtered Vomit Dolls trilogy this evening? And the answer is never yes but yet i'm the person who must (laughs) and so i guess i do believe that the things that you experience temper your existence they color the way that you look at the world so you know some people look at Mm. death like a like a sad dark doorway and other people look at death as like this wonderful adventure to fall into and so it's sort of just that. And and I guess the the thing that that just amazes me and and I don't know, this this isn't something to tout my own strength and this definitely isn't some sort of ego trip, but I will say that, you know, for every person that has told me that my interest in in Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom is is Peculiar or shocking or bad like that the person telling me that is the person who needs to see it mm. the most
1: Could you talk some more about that?
0: Yeah, so <clears throat> um, Some some things in this world are very much uh, Made palatable for us. Uh, this is this is fascism as well, right? So if we were to talk about Salo and specific the difference between Salo and most other traditionally World War two films is that film like the entire sole purpose is to remind the audience of the depravity of it? Nothing more but mm. the depravity of it. Because every other thing that's going to show you that exact same time period is going to politely and kindly subdue that part of it. They're going to subdue that mm. and make it make sense to you. But it it doesn't make
1: make fascism, make fascism palatable, make it go right. down in other because words.
0: ultimately people still want to understand it. But but it is right. somewhat beyond comprehension in the sense that it, there's an evil in it and the, the evil that, that that people are allowed to do and then continue to do. So Sallow is a unique film that focuses in it. It has the bravery to focus in specifically on the depravity of it, which makes it great. Mm. And also the director died for it, which I mean, I don't think I, I think if he would have asked him if he would have died for it, he probably would have been like, no, but <laughs> but he he did, though. And and that's the, the bit.
1: Tell tell some of that story of how the director died for Solo.
0: Well, so the bit, I believe. And of course, this story it, it has been sort of, <laughs> I guess, developed over the course of time, mm. because ultimately, Colt's film as a worldwide discussion has been going on for a very long time, but in such a way now that, that the information is, is constantly scrutinized. So he was killed, I believe, in having something to do with a male prostitute. He was gay, of course and like
1: only only a gay man could make that movie
0: yeah and so that's the thing i mean and you can look at the ramifications of it and say was it for the movie you know who knows maybe it was maybe it wasn't but i will say this when he made that movie he was making a call-out post about the people that were his neighbors people that he lived nearby who were all around him that participated in fascist depravity and then returned, returned home to live as if they hadn't done like this absolute cardinal evil. And he he made a movie to remind not his neighbor, (laughs) but everyone else that we have not yet forgotten, and we should never forget. And because of this, he met his end. It only makes equational sense. And so that is ultimately like the the weird tragedy of this genre is like you you get you get people like the slaughtered vomit dolls, folks, who are very much trying to just, you know, sort of have their kink and eat it too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> literally, uh, literally, and yeah. and it is pretty much that for them. Like, it doesn't really fall too much further than that, and and the depravity of it in, is their own sort of there's their own sort of horse to break. But then you've got stuff like Salo or something like uh, The Devils, like Ken Russell, or like The Holy Mountain is a good example. I mean, there's just a billion movies like this, where the purpose isn't necessarily to satisfy any aspect of you. Satisfaction is the death of this, like this this particular brand of enlightenment. And if they ever satisfy you, it, it, it completely like undoes it. Mm. So that it, it very much is a prostration in the face of suffering which makes it sound like it's worth more than it is. Mostly it is just sitting on the couch and going, "You, uh, this is gross."
1: So you're using the word evil a lot when you talk about this, like when you talk about Solo and and the fascism that it is representing. One of the things that I think really confuses people about those of us who are horror aficionados is how do we maintain a sense of what is right and wrong in the real world while absolutely loving and relishing and enjoying horror movies. Right. What's your answer to that? I have my answer to that, but what is your answer to that?
0: Well, I have two. One is a functional answer and one is is a metaphorical answer. Well, the functional thing is is, is to maintain your empathy. The empathy part is, is crucial because ultimately horror is an act of empathy. It's like oftentimes we are introduced to a character, something bad is going to happen to said character. And through that happening to that person, we safely experience it with them, alongside with them. And it teaches us how to deal with that as well alongside the person who's dealing with it themselves and often women in specific feel there's this like empowering element to to horror movies not necessarily in that every film ends with like a final girl like overcoming whatever but that it's validating their concern it validates their fear it demonstrates to them that the things that they are afraid of are very real and it's not necessarily the Michael Myerses of the worlds, you know, not people aren't necessarily afraid of their Jeffrey Donner's. It's like the Michael Myers in in the world, in society or whatever, man, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like these particular brands of evil. And I specifically say evil because like in a woman's world, the the subtraction of autonomy is often perceived immediately as an evil. And it's often truly that. And And what is that evil? <laughs> Where does that come from? It's, it's, it's something that, that is with us. Uh, it's a, it is like um, in, a, in a weird, like almost hauntological way, it's just sort of always been with us and it's always with us. So like for a lot of women experiencing horror movies, it's the only thing telling them that they're right. In a Mm. world that's constantly telling them to shut
1: up, it's validating the experience exactly in other words It's telling them that they were right about their experience and that the horror that they experienced is real
0: Exactly, you know,
1: I had an experience when I was 19 years old and I've talked about this on the podcast before Mm -hmm. But I was in a shooting I was in a mass shooting and i was a christian missionary at the time that everyone can go look it up it was the colorado religious shootings Mm -hmm. of 2007 and i was the fifth person in the hallway and the only one who wasn't shot and two of my friends were killed so i was literally right there and it destroyed my life It, it completely ruined my life but about two weeks after I witnessed this about two weeks after I experienced this, or maybe it was it was three weeks. I had gone home back to the mountains in North Carolina and um, was just beginning my recovery, like rebuilding my life from like from witnessing this horrific act of violence right. in which I lost two of my friends, and my best friend, the incredible drag queen Miss Ida Carolina. She was like, "Okay, Stephen, I know." that you just went through a terrible horrific shooting i know but we are musical theater obsessives and the new sweeney todd movie is out and we have to go see it <laughs> i am making you see sweeney todd <laughs> which okay it may be, it isn't the greatest movie it's fine <laughs> whatever it's it's a, it's an okay movie but it it's also pretty violent especially for someone who actually came face to face with a real life mass murderer right (laughs) right and miss ida was very sweet she was like okay you know just hold my hand if you you know you can hold my hand all the way through just tell me if we need to leave like (laughs) so on and so forth and it was such a powerful cathartic experience for me yeah because up until that point it was like the the murderer the monster had no face the murderer was this thing that i could not look at because it was so close and so horrifying. And Stephen King wrote an introduction to to The Shining, where he talks about how real life tragedy and real life violence like has this blinding effect and how we need the the ghost story and the horror story to basically be a filter so that we can look at that blinding sun. right. And that was exactly what I experienced with Sweeney Todd. like i I was able to begin to process
0: it opened up the, the conversation trauma.
1: exactly it opened up the co- it it like it unstuck me it unfroze me and it was so cathartic because it's like i was watching the murderer i was watching the monster but from safely behind the screen right it was like he wouldn't hurt me i could watch him but he wouldn't hurt me yeah and you know i honestly worry about people who are unable to confront darkness in that way
0: (laughs) well so there's two answers to that one answer Mm -hmm. is absolutely you know to be worried about someone that has a difficulty uh comprehending darkness is is natural uh, i think mm. it's it's natural for us to feel it's almost a protective thing but on the other hand life kind of makes us all the same at the end or whatever yeah. so ultimately these people are th- th- that can't handle the darkness they will eventually they will and and yeah. so oftentimes it's it's a, it's about identifying not necessarily someone's ability to comprehend their darkness but when they're going to be ready mm. and and sometimes you have to be invited to the theater to go see Sweeney Todd and other times you you know it manifests differently so to to kind of i guess connect with you a little bit i once was inches away from a cop shooting a guy to death and it it very much changed my life too and and that's that's one thing i mean everybody's got a life chock full of shit and and no one wants it but obviously i mean i've ha- i've had a very rough life and i'm sort of in in a different era now and it's almost like i'm finally able to look back at it and i actually think that the the looking back has become more of a utility to me because you kind of can help people that are going through it by your own sort of looking back at it in a, in a very public way or in a very open way. So I suppose that's the other utility of media. There's some sort of driving force in us that isn't financial always. And so I think anybody looking at it to the purely financial is kind of completely missing the point that regardless of money, I'm pretty sure we need to be doing this, and I we need to be doing this
1: be doing as in confronting the dark. Exactly,
0: we need people to yeah. help us do that, and it is very rare that someone can. And so, I I guess what happened for me was I just sort of, sort of saw the opportunity where I was like, "Wow, I know too much about this particular brand of pain to not." share this and so that's where tideland comes from pretty much i mean that's that's why that video exists it's just it's more or less just no one was willing because everyone was scared no one was willing to talk about it because everyone was too scared of what he had done
1: of what terry gilliam had right done in they were tideland. too scared yeah. of
0: what he had done and they were also too scared of themselves they were too scared of like allowing that to be an aspect of themselves. And I see it, you know, a lot in in like journalism. They're, They're very afraid to pull things under their wing that don't invite good vibes, you know, but I think the building blocks of us are not the things we like, not the things we dislike, but the things that we have experienced, like the things that make us whole. I mean, because, like, your brain fills in those gaps with all those movies that you've forgotten about.
1: And, you know, I think the point that you made in your video about Tideland was how, you know, everyone hated that movie. Everyone, you know, it was panned. It was universally recognized as bad. And what you said is that there, it strikes such a painful and horrific note of what it's like to experience neglect right. as a child. And and how that neglect and the abuse and kind of child sexuality that is represented in that film. And just all of the things, all, all, you know, that whole bundle of just awful, terrible things, right. How that struck such a horrible, true note. Well, and like that people just couldn't handle it.
0: Right. Well, and like, how, how, how do we talk about these things properly? Right. Cause, Mm. cause I mean, you can, you can, you can protect and put it behind words and walls as much as you want, but at the end of the day, um, the, unpro- the, the, the problematic thing is still a thing that is true of our universe. and yeah. that In is the case, the thing to confront. child neglect. Right And child yeah. neglect, how do we talk about it? If not, like this, even though mm. you know we of course, can't uh, morally s- like support the man who would do this. But at the same time, how else could we have re- reached this conclusion? How, you know, I needed that film. I didn't want it. I needed it.
1: In the same way that I probably needed Sweeney Todd. It was like, I mean, not that Sweeney Todd and Tideland, you know, are comparable. But I, it, it was like that thing that thawed the ice because that's the power of story. Exactly. And- you know, we're constantly telling stories. And sometimes the only way to get through a trauma is to tell a story about it. And that's the thing that breaks the ice. Right. That's the thing that breaks through. And it's like
0: you fabricated so that you can enter it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yes, I love that. And, you know, I sometimes feel like, in my experience, I love the ambiance right now, the creaky doors and the cats. It's great. Very good. Very good <laughs> ambiance. I do
0: live in a haunted house.
1: I do too. <laughs> no, I live I live up here in the Appalachian Mountains Ooh. on a hill in a little cabin with six cats, two rats, a toad, and a toad. Where are you at and,
0: in that area? If you,
1: I'm in Asheville. Oh,
0: shit. Uh-oh. That's awesome. I love that area. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I love Asheville. Everyone whenever I tell people that I'm in Asheville, they they lose their mind. Of course. But no, it's a great place and I manage like a hippy-dippy grocery store here. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah. I that. used to teach yoga before before the zombie plague happened. Oh, yeah, the zombie I am literally, I am literally a Portlandia sketch. I am a gay <laughs> yoga teacher who manages a small boutique organic grocery store. Like, I am, I am that Portlandia sketch. I, but anyway. I feel like
0: I, I too am, am, am a Portlandia bit. I have to be. Um, the, the crazy, edgy <laughs> goth lady who doesn't dress like a goth lady and also doesn't act like a goth lady, but just is because of osmosis, I guess. Like, I can't (laughs) avoid that because it's just my mind. And then, uh, you know, uh, completely medicated with like psychedelics. It's just it's a stereotype.
1: Uh, Is there any other way to medicate? There isn't.
0: And (laughs) big opinion, there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay no 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 i mean other than medicine <laughs> other than medicine, you know, very medicine good. is important but so are psychedelics uh anyway
1: psychedelics are great i mean i i live with some pretty crippling mental illness oh, yeah, so course. i should so i do not do psychedelics mm-hmm. but instead i meditate yeah you know I, mean, I get i do that i meditate and i'm on some great meds to keep me from you know hanging upside down in a bloody wedding dress from from my ceiling.
0: Yeah, that's that's probably um, <laughs> the correct way to be. Uh, <laughs> that
1: is what happens when I'm not on my meds. Yeah,
0: well, and it's it's um, so it's so wild the human mind because you know I feel like some people they desperately need the reassurances of their day to day. It's like yeah. it's like and I've done SSRIs a lot. I've had a lot of SSRIs in my life. Um, and so the bit is always you do this to be functional. And the functionality is like the utility of the SSRI, whereas a psychedelic is about drowning yourself in it and then seeing if you can emerge from it. Mm. Which is like they're they're two very different experiences. Both are necessary, um, I think to, to some extent to in, in in some facet. I mean, if it's not psychedelics or SSRIs, it's something else. We drown ourselves in one thing while we subdue ourselves to function in another way. And and it's yeah. sort of the that's sort of the duality of it.
1: That's a perfect segue because I would like to ask you about the relationship between the experience of drugs and horror movies. Okay, you have, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, you have a you, you have a fantastic video. I forget what it's called. Hold is on, let me on the, me look the it Black up.
0: Rainbow. Or wait, is um, that was, it's not about drugs? What have I said about drugs? <laughs> what, wait, what do <laughs> they know? Oh my God, what do they know about my habits?
1: I know so much about you now. Oh my God. I have been on. I know all about your thoughts on necrophilia and cannibalism. I, have a lot. I know all. Turns out, <laughs> I I,
0: I'm surprised. But see, this is psychedelics, right? It's the strength because most people look at a look at a, a person having sex with a dead body and they think, "God, get that away from me." Um, but I think, why are we doing this? <laughs> let's explain let's take, uh can, let's can take we a step back can we get in there let's, br- let's <laughs> yeah uh, anyway to continue what we were saying well no
1: okay so brilliant i love that so the video that you did was thoughts on gross movies and right. you talk about how there is something comparable about psychedelics and then watching deeply transgressive and disturbing media Mm -hmm. what is that link for you well you know as someone who's done a lot of drugs
0: so what (laughs) yeah go okay (laughs) so the there's the mental stamina i think of of watching any given movie like this and then there's the mental stamina of watching that same movie on psychedelics and then having you know watch sallow on acid and see where that takes you because it doesn't take you somewhere that you want to that you want to go um but but it's certainly somewhere i've been uh and 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 most people can't say that Hmm. that that said having gone there you know i don't know how much is is down there but I will say there's an acute awareness that's gained from it. And when you approach something that's deeply, deeply traumatic, like to experience, you know, like any of this in in some way is. And then, you know, a psychedelic has a tendency to make you feel like the thing you're empathetically experiencing is true of you, which is to say, if you look at someone being hurt, you feel their pain directly as if it's happening to you. As if you are there, like witnessing it directly, and it, it's it, it's a responsibility, is what it is. It's 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 a challenging responsibility to introduce yourself to this this traumatic e- event in such a way as you can remove the camera from the equation and put yourself where that camera is and look at what you're looking at and and really look at what you're looking at. Yes. It, this is it's shitty and and also I'm going to butcher it, but there's this weird sort of somewhat principle of enlightenment that it's like. It's like being completely in in your moment and and understanding. And so it's not necessarily about the the potential dangers of entering that world as much as as it's getting there and then siphoning every little bit of fruit out of it that you can get. And honestly, there's a lot more to it. And, and this is true of, of all film and also all psychedelics, that there's more to it than whatever it, it meets the eye. But at the same time, um, yeah, I, I cannot recommend that anyone on Earth uh, watch a Serbian film or something like that on psychedelics. I cannot recommend this. Like, in matter of fact, I would go as far to say don't do this to yourself don't do this to yourself but if you must like understand that when when you're there and you're you've removed the camera from the scenario and you are actually watching genuine like rape murder violence against women in in such a way that you can't help but look at yourself and think i'm next you know that that is a it's a responsibility to the world that you gain in that moment that when you re-enter your society post this situation like you have a duty to prevent things like that from ever happening uh it's like you you can't help but like carry it all the time and it's it's as if it happened to you you mm-hmm. know but when you've had a lot of bad things happen to you in your life like in in a weird quantifiable way like putting yourself in a situation like that that is genuinely more shocking than the things that have happened to you even though the things that have happened to you are shocking you know what i mean and when i say you i mean me um like the things that have happened to me are shocking but they are not as shocking as anything in a serbian film so so putting yourself there and then when you come back looking at your own trauma and you think you know there's a unifying factor there are unifying factors to to pain and violence and and all these things um and these are the things that that we must be exploiting we must we Mm. must be like pointing at and expressing their garishness um Mm. instead of running away or trying to make palatable their garishness we just show them the garishness
1: you know a lot of this is reminding me of something that I it's this feeling that I just can't shake, which is that a lot of a lot of horror people, a lot of people like us, it in my personal experience, and I'm sure this is not true of everyone, but a lot of them have a very deep sense of what is right and wrong. Yes. And have a very deep deep engagement with morality. Well, and also this
0: openness to be wrong. This, this it's an ego death is what it is. Yeah. Yes. And it's a, it's a removal of the self. And once you can get, on at least an inch of that you can start to empathetically connect with the world in a different way yeah
1: Yeah. and you know i think i experienced that personally with and and by the way i i really want to get to this topic um (laughs) soon in this conversation about lgbt representation um i i really want to get to that and this film touches on that in controversial ways but i personally experienced that when watching the film incident in a ghost land Mm. I don't know if you've seen I that haven't. one. It's by the same It's it's by the same director of Martyrs. It's his newest film. In-
0: in- I I didn't know he had a new one. Interesting. He
1: has a, he has a new one. It is it is accused of being ferociously transphobic and
0: ableist. Okay. Is it is it bumper boats? Is it like really super sad business? Is it like is it martyrs bad or is it like
1: you know? I have not yet seen martyrs. Okay. Um, my my partner is the hardcore one in this relationship. (laughs) He's the one who really goes to the depths, and he said that it isn't as traumatizing as Martyrs, but it's still pretty fucking traumatizing. Of course, but you know, Incident in a Ghost Land, it's very much about the exploitation and abuse of women and girls, and and it shows it in such horrific ways that I was, I left that film feeling just completely shattered in such a way that I was reoriented to be aware of the consequences of abuse in a way that I hadn't before.
0: Consequences. I want to pull that word out in specific. It's like mm. the the consequences become apparent. Where, yeah. where in day-to-day life, the consequences are never apparent. We never know what the mm. fuck we're doing. But for some reason, when we look back on things like this, like in a rear view mirror sort of sense, we just we can, we can touch it. This is that palatable. But yes, sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, no, I, I exactly. And you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, because I recently listened to a podcast with Sam Harris, Mm -hmm. who is uh, I mean, talk about controversial people. He is super he's super fucking controversial. And I mean, by the way, everything that we are talking about when it comes to like the ambiguity of human nature, the moral ambiguity of horror that applies to people and to public figures <laughs> like yes. people like Sam Harris right absolutely and, and people and won't so, you know, I,
0: people don't want to make that extension but that extension is is vital
1: it is vital because yeah, I've I've written so much about this lately on my blog. Everyone go read my blog, stephenbradfordlong.com. I've written a fuck ton about like the, you know, this person is good, this person is bad, that dichotomy and how for me especially through meditation, that dichotomy is really breaking down for me in like uncomfortable ways that is kind of, you know, like jeopardizing my social life. <laughs> sure. Yes, of course. <laughs> because because it makes it does it makes especially if you're a good lefty, you know, especially if you're like, a, a I mean, not just a good lefty, a, a, a good anything. If you are a person of standing in any community, those boundaries of good and bad being broken down makes your life feel precarious in those settings. Does that make sense? It does.
0: Does that make any it sense? Does. It does. It makes too much sense uh, for the world. Unfortunately, <laughs> yep. it's it's yep. it's something that I I deal with a lot. So mm. I have this. I'm told it's significant. So I'm bringing it up. I have this little sure. bear in my car, and it is a it is a George W. Bush 04 bear. <laughs> I have this, and it's sitting on my dashboard, always looking, always looking at me, just always sitting there forever now of course i have i have i have nothing but hatred for george w bush so having that there is it can only have ever been a token to that you know but all the same it's a cursed artifact that i must possess uh Mm. for, (laughs) for for to understand and also to look at it as a bear too because in a weird functional way it is a beanie, baby. It is it is an <laughs> article of comfort. It, it is something that's meant to bring comfort, and yet here it is. Someone has has politicized the comfort. I don't know the, these.
1: Uh, the, no, it's complicated. That kind of that kind of complication, and I mean, but you have to open for- yourself
0: up to have those conversations about those things. Like so, yes. so problematic people, right? You keep them around are, yes. to further understand them because most people won't make that effort. And then we wonder why we have fucking fascism. You know, we, we wonder exactly. why we have a police state, you know, is it because we've been mm-hmm. ignoring the problems? Probably, you know what I mean?
1: Exactly. And I mean, we're going very far afield from what I was going to talk about, but I will we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and you know, go further down this road. You know, I, I feel like I, I've noticed this impulse that I've discovered, especially through meditation, where we have a tendency to want to round up or round down when it comes to virtue. Exactly. So what I'm, what I mean by that is, okay, take someone like Sam Harris. I wrote a whole article about this, about the great untruth of us versus them, which which states that the world is divided between good people and evil people, and how that really is embodied by Sam Harris. For people who have no clue who Sam Harris is, he is a he is a really popular neuroscientist, atheist douche bro, who <laughs> one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse kind of started the new atheist movement, and he's just been like this persistent curmudgeon online, right? Who's whose whole life. It's just being like a public intellectual online. And, but on the one hand, people, I see people wanting to ground up to his good, which is his meditation teaching, which is truly astonishing, his charitable work, his contribution to shining you know, lights on versus on, on various kinds of abuse. You right. know, just very he has done tangible important work. His bad, being a douchebag about Islam. <laughs> being a douchebag about, you know, being kind of a race realist and promoting Charles Murray's bell curve theory of intelligence. Right. Um super not great to do. <laughs> that's super gross. And so I see people wanting to round up to his best. Or round, round down. down. But the reality to his worst. is
0: that Sam Harris is just sort of an entity that is, is uh, walking around and talking. He takes shit. Exactly. He takes and shits. <laughs> this is important to remember. He takes shits. Sam and he's Harris. Not going shits. to stop. Yes.
1: He he does indeed shit and he's not going to stop. Same with Jordan Peterson. Exactly. Same with Ben Shapiro. Exactly. Same with all of these same with all of these people. And, well, when and they all I'm shit the weird. Point,
0: we all know that. But they... T-
1: oh, yeah. You know, there's there's weird, green crusty oh, stuff yeah, it's, in it's, there. Oh, it's, yeah.
0: It's, it's toxic stuff coming out of them. But as we all would expect. <laughs> but they still do it.
1: Yes. And, you know, I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't want to round up or round down. I want them to just be complicated, yes. because because I am complicated. I wouldn't want someone to round me up or down. That's dehumanizing, right? Like me being rounded up to my best moments. That's dehumanizing because I am a terrible person. But rounding me down to my worst moments is also dehumanizing because I'm also a good human being. Right. It's. I, we can't do either, and and I see on the internet, human nature in general, but I think it's really ramped up on the internet, is um, especially on social media, this tendency to really round up or round down, and I really want to resist that impulse.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, dida, yeah. That's that's me on well, movies as well. I mean, that's me on. Is that called nuance? I, I believe when I was in college, I believe they called that. A nuance, uh, which is, I believe, what you gain at the year at, when you gain, well, like when you reach the age 27, let's call it that, you you grow this unmitigated, unending nuance, and it will never let you go. Um, anyway,
1: <laughs> And you become, you become that guy wearing a fedora who always just has to interject with nuance.
0: Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. And no one wants to be that guy. But and I am that I guy.
1: That? I am that guy. I am the guy who's always like, but nuance. And I hate myself.
0: <laughs> oh, we all do. It's it's hating oneself is is to know that you can also be good absolutely yeah um so gay stuff we wanted to talk okay. about gay okay
1: yes so let's let's talk about gay shit because yeah no we're just careening through hell right now yeah. and uh so the audience just has to hold on tight because <laughs> i don't even know where we're going at this point it's, it's um, a
0: fire world whatever it, it is it is
1: indeed <laughs> whatever it is um So you have a fantastic video on Camp Sleepaway. Is it Sleepaway Camp? Sleepaway Camp, yes. Sleepaway Camp. So talk about Sleepaway Camp and how you interact with Sleepaway Camp as a trans woman. Sure. Watching this horrendously transphobic thing. Right. So so
0: I edited out a bit in that video and I regret. I, I experience regret because I think...
1: Only sometimes.
0: Yes, uh, only sometimes. Sure, but uh, only after making nuggets. Typically, <laughs> <laughs> or a cigarette. Those are the two regrets. But, but uh, what were we talking? Sleepaway camp. So yes. <laughs> so. My big regret with that is that I didn't include a bit where I was talking at length about specifically what makes Sleepaway Camp transphobic. And and so it is sort of transphobic by design in that everything talking about transness prior to like five years ago is probably transphobic at this point. So like, number one, we must not defend it. We must not defend it. We must let it be exactly as transphobic as it is. However, and so it's it's the however, that is the the key to marginalization, the it is what it is. But like, I, I can, I can watch this thing that was made to harm me. And yet, I can get more out of it than anything that anybody intending to make it could have done. And it's a unique role for a marginalized person, I believe. Uh, And and I believe any gay person would agree with me in the same way that... uh you know, I, I feel like most people on the LGBT spectrum can can agree that seeing yourself portrayed in media is often, often harrowing. It's often very, very harrowing. But yes. enlightening, enlightening Sleepaway Camp is ultimately a movie about a trans woman who gets sick and tired of everyone being transphobic, being shit, and trying to have sex with her so she kills them in self-defense... <laughs> And then when she decides, why am I killing in self-defense? I should just be killing people at this point. Cause I mean, why not just just do that? Cause obviously this is something deep within everybody's heart. And if they know the truth about me, they too will need to die. And, and so she experiences this like complete isolation from society. And in that isolation, she feels comfortable being vulnerable and being herself. And thus we see her for the first time. Yes. So, I, it's, yeah. Anyway, go ahead.
1: What's, well, what's, what's so brilliant about it, I mean, not brilliant about the film, but about the experience that you describe watching it is it's like, okay, the, in, the intention of the film seemed to have been truly aggressively transphobic i mean it, it seemed the intention of the film seemed to just straight up demonize and you know spread a more of a moral panic about those sexual deviants right um right and and to spread more of that 80s paranoia about LGBTQ people.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and a lot of people kind of say the film, well, the film is not transphobic because technically Angela was forced to transition by her (laughs) aunt. So she's not actually trans and so but that's that's transphobic because that's the narrative right and a that's transphobic which means you get to choose if it's transphobic you get to choose whether you get to watch it or not if it's transphobic it is no longer like on the table as something you really need for the analysis (laughs) like you can let it go if you want because you know it's bullshit Uh, and then Mm. the secondary thing is that regardless of what Angela's prior life may have been, she is a woman in this situation. And she is a trans woman in this situation. And that does not change her reality is, is the bit. Um, Mm. And so it's not necessarily a movie about a crazy trans woman who murders a bunch of people as much as it's about a society that pulls a murderer out of a young girl yeah so and it's perspectivism i guess
1: and you know it's like as from from your video about sleepaway camp it's like as you got older and as you tr- you transitioned you started to see the film as like fucking empowering because angela is actually kind of an icon yeah and and it's so it's like how this film transformed into being about this trans girl who is so fucking sick of everyone's transphobia that she is fucking killing them because they're awful terrible bullies and she is just kind of amazing and empowered and iconic and and that's the kind of complexity that I experience all the time yeah exactly with with media that is the kind of, is so it's I'm trying to think of a parallel to that there I mean, there is
0: hardly one <laughs> to tell you yeah the truth. no
1: I'm, I'm trying to think of there I don't think that there is an exact parallel for that for like my my gayness my my well, I mean, sexual orientation there are
0: certainly a million bad dog shit depictions of gay men in the world
1: oh absolutely D-
0: a million um and and but yeah for why you know <laughs> uh Go ahead. Well, and
1: and I don't know. I think one is, this is maybe a softer example, but the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Sure, yeah. Where Oscar Wilde was portrayed... Or, or or Oscar Wilde was portraying was very strongly coding Dorian Gray as gay. Yes, or at at the very least bisexual. Right, like it is very strongly coded as a gay book.
0: It might as well be text. Oscar Wilde is gay.
1: (laughs) Exactly, and and so it is all about. The experience of being gay. Dorian Gray is a monster. Yes. In that book. Yes. Right. Dorian Gray is a monster, and the book is about the excesses of temptation and what temptation does to you. And you know, I think it's significant that Oscar Wilde eventually converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. And the impression that I get is that he never really he how could he accept how could he? I mean, he was living in Edwardian England, and then was like it was he he couldn't. Yes. It was, but. That book, even though it portrayed homosexuality as something forbidden and dark, that was the first kind of that was because I grew up in kind of a conservative Christian setting and I could really only expose myself to classics. That was my first exposure to what it meant to be gay. Right. And it was incredibly empowering for me
0: right and well and i i like the the what it meant to be gay bit too because like i think Mm. you will definitely understand this to an extent and there is there is the like tricky kind of intersectional asexuality that that kind of intersects with all this but Mm. if you subtract all that like i feel like being gay in a way, it's kind of an act of learning about yourself through sex and through absolutely through your physicality, through your excesses, through partners, through l- like, you know, it's it's crafting your soul through through mm. sexuality. But the issue immediately like arrives when when you're like, OK, so it's a it's a thing that is simultaneously encouraging me and empowering me to learn about myself through sex paint myself through sex but know also that there is this like weird rotting core to you that begins to develop like when Mm. when you like choose to let your sexuality kind of i want to say like justify your shame when Mm. it when it kind of replaces your shame it's taking care of your shame for you then it becomes ugly but ultimately it, it is a good thing the sexuality is a Is a good thing in that it it teaches you but it also can teach you bad habits like using it to overcome your shame
1: and that's kind of the quandary of being a sexual minority exactly i mean that that's the paradox that's the catch-22 and i don't know as you were saying that it it made me think of Clive Barker, mm-hmm. um, who I stand. Of course, I I adore Clive Barker. I don't know, like Hellraiser. I I feel like Hellraiser is quintessential gay media, even though all of Clive Barker's stuff is pretty heteronormative. Yeah, well, but it, the it's the, extremely heteronormative. The
0: heteronormativity of it is so false.
1: It's garish. The the heteronormativity of of all of his stuff. I mean, and you know, I've read most of his mm-hmm. stuff. And no, you're exactly right. The, the heteronormativity of it is, is really false. And I feel like there's a deeper queer core that it is pointing at. There's, and, there's
0: like, you can always yeah. tell when a gay writer is writing straight because, Oh he, yeah. Because that gay writer is going to be a bitch about it. Like he's <laughs> is <just> going to be <laughs> going to grit his teeth and be bitchy about it. And I just love that. It's like, I think this is why, like, we just, God I, I I love to read Gaiman talk about romance because it's such a different color of romance mm. than I feel like um ma- many others are I I guess um
1: anyway, no, I I completely I completely agree with that. And and that's why, even though Clive Barker's horror is so heteronormative, it is so gay. Like that is not straight sex that is happening between a man and a woman that those those are two gay men fucking even in that book, even though they are presumably a cis woman and a cis man. Right. Exactly. But no, like what you were saying about that, that paradox of being gay and, and the rotten core that can emerge, that, to me, is what Hellraiser is about.
0: Right. Well, you know, know, to to an extent, I think an element here is that, like, we've endured, like, what seems to be a a bajillion years of bad, bad press about being gay and also terrible representation, almost exclusively, almost exclusively, bad representation so and and also look at what's happened in society gay culture has 100 percent been colonized in a cultural way i mean mm. listen to every cis woman say Yas queen when she walks down the street like it's so prevalent the colonization of gay culture into the mainstream so they will happily take the gold that they can siphon from us but not the actual reality so I feel like it's almost a duty of mine to to chronicle through a lot of these things that that are terrible representation and and own them take them away yes. from them take their toys yes. away because like ultimately the reason people got very pissed off at me because of my sleep camp video is because
1: oh, pe- people did. yes people it was it at was, at for that
0: it was a bloody mess um online but the reasoning was because i took their fucking toy away and they didn't like that i did this because i made it gay i i and and it was gay already but i made it in, in a good gay i i yes. solved it's gay and now everyone's like well fuck You know,
1: and (laughs) so were you so were you being like trashed by straight people or LGBT people? I mean, all of all of the above. Or could you tell
0: it's it's difficult to tell, but but I mean, you can almost always uh, kind of assume there's a little bit of a sort of a straight heteronormative thing going on. Like people that are very like, I don't understand this and I don't have to, you know, those people love horror movies. Uh,
1: yes they do they, they
0: do and they love to tell you you're wrong about them but here's the thing that they don't realize i love to tell them that they're <laughs> wrong and take their toy <laughs> away and so Sleepboy camp belongs to the gays now it no yes. longer belongs to them and of course they're pissed off about this but mm. but get with the times my dude it wasn't yours anymore you know
1: i love that yeah i love that i love that that sense of empowerment that comes from reclaiming weapons that have been used to hurt us and and listeners of my show will know that that is exactly what satanism is for me you know my my satan is a queer satan right because because yeah because you know the term satan has been used to demonize minorities and religious minorities for centuries right and so it and so for me that's what satan is it is taking the toy away and using it to create my own thing what the way I, so, I
0: feel like i would put it because i personally am not a satanist even though i have read satanism and there's certainly moments in my life where i've been like feel like there are elements of satanism that i i desperately needed in my life and i'm very happy that i have them like Absolutely,
1: like, you're Satan adjacent.
0: Exactly. Well, and 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 yeah. also, Satanism is kind of a fun exercise in that that don't round up, don't round down thing. It's mm. mm-hmm. it's you know obviously you shouldn't be wasting your your energy and time on ingrates, but at the same time, like yes, you should. So <laughs> yes, so you have to marry the two for yourself, and that's what I like about the religion in 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 and of itself is is it doesn't behave like a religion in the sense that it has dogma, but rather it, it behaves in in like in almost like a spiritual healing way. Yes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely it's like psycho
0: magic, which is is kind of more my vibe. Like I feel like I'm I'm more interested in psycho magic than much much of anything else. What is but the, what is that? So that's um I mean, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. But sure. it's it's the idea that there's a there's a um, there's a radical manifestation between one's like psychedelic spiritual existence and also one's mental health, like the direct link between n- something magical and something tangible. Like, how do we affect the tangible? And it's usually with like some sort of you know miraculous fabrication, like that we invent. Mm. Like, and and regardless of what we call it and regardless of what it ends up being for us it it's a necessary thing for us um psychologically just sort of just a function like and i feel like a lot of people see this is like um this is like a shlava thing but i think you know oh i love okay. i love
1: Slavoj Zizek. <laughs> well, i
0: like the bit where he's like atheists are actually very religious in the same way that um, most people aren't, but I actually feel like, in in a lot of ways, an, an enlightened person can often manifestate in in a Christian as much as it can manifest as in, in anyone. And it's it's the removal, yes. it's the removal, it's it's the it's to fall silent before it. And mm, and
1: now you're speaking my language exactly. Yes, and most people I won't. Yes. Most
0: people will not fall silent in front of it. And and like I don't care how you get how how you did the work and and what your manifestation was that got you to the point where you realize this this very humanness but um you have to (laughs) so there there are ways and everyone does it it's like the most atheist way to live is ironically weirdly prostrational weirdly devotional yes
1: i i I, so many atheists would kill me but i i I completely agree, which is why I see myself as a fundamentally religious person. You know, I am. If you're Googling it, a, you
0: might as well be praying for it.
1: Yes. I, yes. You know, I, I interview a guy on the show called David Dark all the time. A, he has the most badass name. B, he's a theologian who talks about he, he has a book called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. And the idea is that whatever binding story that is guiding your life, that is your religion.
0: Um, absolutely,
1: and and in a lot of ways, I, I 100% agree with that. I know that all my atheist listeners are yelling at me right now, so this is probably a good note to end on. Um, well, but, but I
0: can speak to that. I can speak directly <laughs> okay, to that. Like, understand that it is the ultimate temptation to look at oneself and see the world, at, and 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 grab fruit and put it in your basket, but understand that. That life without a basket is is more ideal than forever collecting fruit.
1: I love that. And I one last question: sure. what What movie would you recommend listeners to watch? And it can be literally anything under the sun. What after after hearing this conversation, what parting blessing would you give listeners in terms of which movie to watch?
0: Okay, I I, I I've got it. So, listen, I know what we really want more than anything in the world is something new. Like, we want something that you receive and you're like, wow, this was made, like, today? Like, I could go see this, like, now? So, luckily, the good people over at Shudder have provided a film. And it's not that great. To tell you the truth, it's super not that great. The second half of it is super not that great. But when I tell you the premise of it, you will immediately go, I think I must see this. And you're correct. You must It's called Fried Berry. Fried Berry. Once again, that's Fried Berry. Don't forget. It's important. So Fried Berry is the story of an alien who abducts the body of a heroin addict, not knowing that heroin is a thing on Earth because they're studying Earth. So now the alien is jonesing around and doesn't know why and is also (laughs) trying to learn about the world. So, So he's like trying to learn. And the only thing that people keep like giving him are either sex or drugs. And so he quickly learns that, that like that he's not really all that interested in sex, to be honest, but he fucking loves drugs. So basically you get, you get an alien jonesing for heroin and can't find it like near death because of this tripping on everything for the whole movie. The, so long, there's a fucking intermission in the middle of it. And they're like, all right, good luck. You know, and and boy, what a shit nightmare. Uh, the end of it is just not, it's just not, I don't think it gets there for me. But the first half of it is irreplaceable for me this year. So I would say if you want a complicated viewing experience that you're probably not going to like, but you're going to be thankful that I suggested to you, Watch Fried Berry and never, ever forget it.
1: <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, everyone, go also to YouTube.com and search for Nick's Fears. That is N-Y-X Fears. And uh, watch all of her videos because they are fucking badass. Okay, do it. Nick's yeah, Nick's fears. Everyone go watch it. Go and and when you comment on her videos, tell her that Stevenson. Yeah, you. there you go. <laughs> well, May, it has been an absolute pleasure and you are welcome back anytime. This has been great.
0: Absolutely. Feel free to hit me up if you need if you need a guest i i enjoy oh, I, showing up in the in the you know conversational space i live very much in the weird liminal isolation of watching crazy movies and making videos about it so it's nice to speak <laughs> to a person hello
1: i understand <laughs> also one of the one of my favorite things about being a guest is i don't have to do any of the work oh yeah like, i just have to show up <laughs> it's wonderful all right well that is it for this show the music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D7. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. This show is supported by my patrons. Go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for a dollar, three dollars, or five dollars a month. You get extra content every single week and you ensure the long life of this show. This show is written, produced, and edited by me and my producer, Dante Salomoni, and is a production of Rock Candy Recording. As always, hail Satan. like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.